0: He yeah. was like, he would buy stuff for me. At one point I was like, did you know you bought me like 30 bucks worth of stuff in the past month? And it was all like, you know, two ninety nine games. It's like, dude, I love you, but man, I'm going to have to like give you sex if you keep <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Are you expecting something from me? Am, am I being groomed?
1: <laughs> yeah. but Buying is, your is, affection with steam gifts. Steam, that would probably
2: work too.
3: Talking about campaign prep thing that you thought about, even yeah. mentioned Jason, because yeah, that's that's I have a lot of different feelings on that now than I used to. It's a way different thing now. I used to think, first you take twelve dollars and you go buy the new module.
0: <laughs> you were that you were that guy. I mean, you were, take the shrink wrap off. Yeah. No, you can't do that. It's not in D and D canon. I was super like. Did you see that I found there's actually were swans?
3: I did see that. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the, uh, <laughs> oh my god yeah they were real swan no, man. They, they weren't even e-
0: they weren't even first edition they were like third edition oh my that's god really? did you, so- Wear swans,
3: man. So, well, and I I, uh, I almost I went to see that movie, that black, black swan, the other day. I still want to go see it. I'm I don't know. Still I, I, about it. I watched the trailer for it, and I mean, I guess like all the. She doesn't ever turn into anything. Like, it's not really supernatural. It's all. It's like she just yeah. loses her shit, and well, so it's like she goes crazy, and she it's she in never,
0: her mind. She never gets a beak or anything. It doesn't matter. No, count. exactly. It's a. <laughs> she, she never hits she she anybody. She never, never hisses and attacks
3: a child at the park. Right. Or I want to see her yet exactly <laughs> it's all in her mind and that, that's I hate that but it's it, like, really, it really all is, is basically,
0: in <laughs> it's in her mind like and a,
3: it probably is it probably is a really good movie it looks uh, like uh, you know about pressures of being a dancer so the reviews all have
0: all been like outstanding like yeah. even both mainstream and non-mainstream reviews but yeah. I think the only thing that ever happens that would be quote unquote considered real weird is the point where she's got that sore on her back yeah. and she's picking it, and
3: she picks out like one little black feather, feather. Yeah. well yeah but that's yeah it's a hallucination I guess yeah. is the, yeah I don't know it's yeah uh, it's not weird enough Exactly, but it's. I think it's just because that's what I wanted it to be, so then when I realized that it wasn't going to be, that was totally like, oh, wanted, fuck this. We totally
0: wanted that scene of a huge hissing black swan like, running yes, after a ballpark. that's what I want. <laughs> that is exactly the scene I want.
3: <laughs> you you stro- know, you throw, throw, throw
0: your ice cream cone away, honey, and it'll leave you alone.
3: Don't do not feed <laughs> Don't the feed horrible the black anthropomorphic black swans. I saw yeah. a uh, rad horror movie last night on who's on Netflix streaming, uh, The Burrowers. Oh. It's like, it's pretty recent. Uh,
1: oh, I think I saw that.
3: Yeah, it's like, it's like Cowboy Time. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, there's there's some creature that like, you know, it used to eat the buffalo, but then the white man hunted the buffalo, and so now, it's, the white man. you know, found a new food source. It was, and it was like, the, the period stuff was all really well done too. Like, the, the downtime when it wasn't horror movie time was all compelling and interesting, and mm-hmm. I quite enjoyed That's it. Nice. And, and you cared when everybody died.
0: There's a horror movie that came out, because I was working at a video store when I did. I can't remember the name of it, but it was. It didn't really do well at the box office, and it wasn't a spectacular movie. It was just kind of good. But it was slanted as a kind of a vampire analog movie, and it, was, it took place like right after the Civil War. And at the very beginning, there's like this young army officer who um, is broken. They cashiered for cowardice. Like, there's a, there's a whole scene where he's hiding underneath a pile of dead bodies because he's afraid mm. the Indians are going to find him, and he's just like covered with blood. Mm-hmm. And they basically. He was a promising own officer, but he basically gets broken for cowardice, and they send him to like this this outpost like way on the ass end of nowhere like way up in the northwest mountains and he winds up he's at this like deserted fort with kind of these unusual characters that live there like the doctor and the army officer and um, this guy stumbles this like you know starving guy stumbles up the fort and says that he was a part of a group of settlers who wound up getting snowed in and eating each other and then they treat the cannibalism as like vampirism like it's infectious and it infects different people and it's actually pretty cool Uh, no it's the
1: wendigo myth oh that's it the wendigo myth myth. Mm -hmm. like you eat eat human Somebody gets crazy. Yeah. yeah, there was um. That was kind of cool. It was really good, actually. Yeah, what was that movie called? It was just one word. It was like starving or or craving or something. Something like that, like mm-hmm. hunger. Ravenous. Ravenous. That's ravenous. It's ravenous.
0: That's it. Completely. Yeah, yep. I know
3: that. Movie. Yep, yep, yep. I was, I was. Uh, talking to Jess the other day, like about how after watching this Borrowers movie, that like I wish I could run a good like western themed game, but like I just have no fucking frame of reference for that at all. Like I have no good. And then she's like, "Oh well, when I was a kid, you know, she grew up in Wyoming. She was <laughs> like, yeah. All we did was cowboy field trips. Like every field trip we took in school was to some like you know cowboy and Indian battle or some fort or some you know you know re- where they reenact things or where you can go find find your own arrowheads. Or like, Damn, she's I didn't even go to watch
2: school in Wyoming, yeah. but my brother went on this. Uh, field trip to this place called Natural Four in like northern Colorado and it's a place it's like this just crazy rock formation out in the middle of nowhere like right off the high like right off the freeway and it's where like this tribe of natives held off US cavalry for like several months. Wow huh. They just stayed in there and the cavalry couldn't get to them because it was so like the passageways were so narrow they couldn't bring the horses in wow. and they actually had like imprints of like where everybody was like sitting down because they wore it out throughout, like, time so much. It was something they used all the time. I always
0: make that mistake when I run games in that time period, or I think in the times of that time period, because I don't know how far technology was advanced. And whenever I actually do a little historical reading, I'm always like, oh, so, like, electricity was viable
3: in a lot of places. Yeah, and, you know, not everybody more even... modern than we thought. Yeah, and
0: after I, w- I played Red Dead Redemption, then I, I felt like I had a better grasp on <laughs> Yeah, see, there's this great... <laughs> you go to nice uh... town, and it's
2: like... Cobblestones and all that stuff.
0: There's
3: this great Wikipedia page that has um, the key inventions by decade oh, uh, nice. going back like way, Ooh. way far. And so that's that's really been like a super helpful thing, just like in terms of uh, avoiding the faux pas. Like, yeah. you know, I, because I, I never, I, I so don't do the research. When I was saying like, I really respect the fact that you fucking <laughs> like, read, uh, like, crack a book on it. Well, well, well now it's like it. so
0: easy. Like, what I, what I don't already know from having grown up in that area, from no. having read stuff before, like it's, you know, 10 minutes in Google, But I do have like a little separate individual folder with all these links like yeah. links to African American spirituals and like, you know, what songs were popular in nineteen thirty four and price lists and all this other stuff. Right. And some of that stuff might not come in there but it helps you from doing stuff like you pointed out on Friday we played Apocalypse World when the author when Vincent Baker is saying oh, so, you know, the whole idea is what the apocalypse did leave you plenty of is gasoline and bullets at the end. He's like, oh, I found out after this went to press that gasoline actually evaporates yeah. really quickly, so <laughs> right. let's pretend it didn't.
3: <laughs> yeah, you'll you avoid the faux pas. Uh, I don't want to be like, sure, take out your machine gun and oh. That's as far as my research goes. It's avoiding yeah. that issue. <laughs> it's like and the thing everything is like, else I just hand wave And the thing, uh, the thing is, like doubtful any of us would catch it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, you, yeah. Always, you always fear like, oh. So you didn't have space shuttles in 57. Exactly. Right? Sorry.
2: I think we all have the understanding. Like, what are you willing to let me get away? Exactly. exactly. How far can I? Tommy gun. I pulled this Tommy gun out from underneath my
0: seat.
2: Tommy (laughs) Tommy guns were not like. No, completely. I know they were viable, but it's it's, it's way more viable. And they didn't have. They didn't all have like the big like 100 bullet drums. You know they usually have like a thirty round. But it's form.
3: like if you're not a cop and you're not a you I'm know a other... soldier, but I know you're th- a, a there's, criminal. There's a lot
2: of people that carry those things around, especially in the thirties.
3: <laughs> it, in your version of the thirties,
2: actually it's soldiers body. didn't but carry them. Actually, them. Soldiers, Are you doing s- <laughs> soldiers didn't carry them around that often at all because um, they weren't a military weapon. The military didn't provide them to troops. Actually, troops had to have their families buy them and mail them out to them in the, Euro- in the European theater. Oh, wow. they have Tommy like guns. they like a lot of them have to do with armor now. Huh? Yeah. yeah. No, you, well, you have a shotgun. Yeah, I have a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> that is Sorry, good. buddy. let <laughs> That's enough.
0: I'll take the shotgun. <laughs> uh, Pulled out this laser rifle. I got stuck with it. exactly. Blow <laughs> <I didn't try. laughs> yeah, the fuck out of it. Oh, we've oh. been playing too much Fallout. Yeah. <laughs> still, still digging Fallout. Fallout New Vegas. Yeah, all this re- yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm maxed up. But a lot Here of we are <laughs> I, I still haven't even finished the main quest because I went around and tried to find all the little places on my own and. I'm trying to decide whether or not I want to start over for the DLC that comes out on Monday, which
3: is tomorrow. You bastards! You yeah. Xbox owning or using bastards. Actually, I don't think I'm do going to get to
2: DLC for a while. I don't think it looks that awesome.
3: I don't. I don't think that it's going to take
0: care of the level cap with this DLC. No, yeah, it looks like a very insane. like it's, narrow story. It's do this
2: quest thing. Yeah, story quest.
0: It looks. First. It looks like. I mean, basically, um, I like the first DLC for the Last Fallout, which was the Anchorage. Operation Anchorage. I like that. Okay. Because it at least gave you some... I, mean, you awesome I bet it'll be like that. Then. You'll get some yeah.
3: cool, unique art
0: items. Yeah, time. that might be it. But I'm, I'm waiting for the one that gives you the extension to the level cap. I'm hoping there's going to be one got to be one. Yeah, come on. They're, come they're, on. There's, there's 40, still way too many porks,
2: perks to take. I want That's them true. to have like a, a Mothership Zeta sequel. So like where like you go to Area 51. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah. Actually, right cool. there. Huh? Yeah, no, you're, right there. you're right That's there. That. You're right That's there. That's a good point. I wouldn't be surprised oh, okay. if
0: they <laughs> did <So. laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. are really... working for Bethesda? They're trying really hard to no. make the pre-war world like 1950s <laughs> but 1950s. Jetson style, like flying cars, Yeah, yeah. You, know, yeah, you know, like all this advanced, so that, so that totally could work.
2: Mm-hmm. That'd be some sweet shit. Okay, so, um, what a, my what name's up? David. Oh
3: yeah, hey, <laughs> welcome to Self Good on the List, everybody. That's David, my name's Miles. Hi.
1: Oh yeah, and I'm Caleb, sitting here reading the Call of Cthulhu book and participating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you for your contribution, Dr. K. That's right. I'm still Jason, still.
3: We'll edit that together, so it's not disjointed yeah. and fucked <laughs> up, right? So it's not completely weird and bizarre. No, that's you know, that's I f- right. I figured that's par for the course. It, you know, people who listen to this weird and bizarre, they know what. The, what yeah, I, I think. Right? I yeah, think, I think they know the drill. The randomness <laughs> of everything, yeah. how
2: it just all flows. They understand it completely.
3: Yeah. Jesus. Um. So yeah, and we were going to talk about uh, campaign prep and. I don't know, I, I was hoping we were going to have, uh, like, Tori would be here, too, because she, somebody who's only, like, done it once, compared, because I think we're all pretty much, like, we all run a handful of campaigns, yeah, yeah. like, mm-hmm. I mean, well, I've, I've ran a lot, a lot, and I, you've probably run a pretty good number as I well.
0: I haven't run as many for this particular group, but I I've ran a lot back in the day, and uh, I've, yeah. ran, I've run, like, a couple of
2: games in school.
1: And I've like run, like a, like, a handful. Yeah, same year, like I've run a few. Okay, yeah. yeah.
3: I guess the, yeah. the the way that the first thing that springs to mind for me anyway is how much like how much my views on what planning a campaign looks like has changed. Like we we talked about a little bit the other day, uh, how I can't even really imagine not sitting down and all making characters together and not like letting that inform what the game then becomes. You know, like whereas yeah. that like that wouldn't have even that was a, that was a legitimate struggle for me of like. How am I going to make my characters more involved in this pre-planned story that I've got thought out? Like, you know, and when I was running D&D campaigns when I was, you know, back in the day. Or even running Vampire in high school. Or even running D&D for, you know, this group uh, just a few years ago. This issue of, like, you know, wanting to wanting to get... Not being able to get players invested or get their characters invested in what's happening in the story. But not, like being willing to make the story about them. Yeah. You know,
0: uh... and that's hard because yeah. when you're thinking of a new campaign, you get all excited and you're like, Oh, I want this scene to happen. Wouldn't it be cool if this scene and you start doing it like you're writing a short story and then you're like, Oh fuck, there are other people I'm writing a short too. story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the mm-hmm. campaign that we for Call of Cthulhu that I just started for you guys, I was like, Well, I have a very specific setting and it's gonna be a very specific time and place and I would want these things specifically to happen. I may as well just make pre generated characters and some games that works mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. if it's gonna be kinda short. Like you wanna ran a one shot or last time that was fantastic and you're like, Here's your characters, you're in this situation, go but Right, and that's that's I think one of the drawbacks to being a story involved player or DM is that you're like I have this awesome story. Let me show you it. Let me <coughs> right. show you my yeah. cool story. But so. then I was like, no, I really want these guys to participate because I want them to be involved, and I'm hoping this will be a long campaign and a campaign setting I can use again. Exactly. So I want you guys to feel like you're writing the story and taking a different yeah. Reasons. Have have
3: buy in and have like have pieces that you're helping to build completely, and be like, oh, I'm really psyched that I'm
0: playing this. You know criminal character that I'm paying this nurse from. Even paying if this you kid. don't have a
3: Tommy gun. That's you right. mean, you, you can still be Tommy excited gun, about it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and when, when, when you, you have excited. everybody
1: make their own character, it helps build starting concepts so that yeah. you don't just have to drop everybody in some artificial situation. Yeah. Like when you started the game, instead of giving us a, well, you're all sitting at the train station together in the same room, coincidentally, yeah. you know, there's something going on that everybody congregates towards. And then you know, stuff happened, and it split up the group, but there was still a central event happening. Right. Yeah. You guys were all in the We all had a reason <clears throat> to be there. Yeah. yeah.
3: Fictionally plausible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I was I was thinking about uh, kind of one of the things that has helped, like, push me in that direction of wanting to, of having that be so important is the, the more I've played, uh, like, story games, you know, the more I've played games like Dogs in the Vineyard or uh, Burning Wheel or... You know all all games in that vein, and like you know the the, the more recent wave of games. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I I remember listening to the old uh, like Wizard of the Coast official D anD D podcast, and it being this all these like various rehashes of you know how the way you get your players involved is you know, and the way you create non linear stories, and the way you cre- create things where like you know they can feel like they have agency and this choice is really just by like totally faking it, like uh, you know ha- having. Here's here's one choice, but I'm going to pretend like it's three different choices. And whichever you know one of these three roads you pick, it's going to lead to the same adventure, or the same whatever. That is something uh, okay. I learned from
0: video games, That's... but it's from among us up up ahead at the at the very at the very top. Is you feel like your your player your player characters feel like you have those choices. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter as much where you wind up. Like in, again, in like Fallout Three, no matter what happens, eventually you're going to come in contact with your dad. So yeah, you're getting railroaded a little bit. Yeah, but you've got decisions about where and when you can confront.
3: Yeah, well, and that and that seemed like, for a long time, that was like the extent of my thinking on, uh, you know, player involvement and player authorship in, in the campaigns that I was running was, you know, they're going to get to make this choice, and it's, you know, at best going to be a binary choice, you know, and then, you know, I think, fortunately, I have players like the players that are in this group, uh, like we were talking about the other day, uh, how James, you know, creates characters that bring institutions with them. And like you yes. know, he, 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 he doesn't just create a character, he creates their organization that they have behind them or their, you know, their family or and their religion. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the combination of that and then, uh, you know, games that really endorse that and that endorse player contributions and, you know, how... And I've played a lot more of those lately. I don't know. I think it's really changed how I how I go about planning a campaign. Like, really, I don't anymore. I just have these broad ideas that I then come come to the group and see what characters come up and you know fit the two you know fit my ideas around their characters rather than the other way around. Rather yeah. than you Most know the walking in with a the story. Right. So, in other words, yeah.
1: it's letting the characters have their own goals. I mean, the story is a yeah. way is a means to get them to their goals. Well, actually, a lot of the
2: games that we've been playing, like. Dogs and um, Burning Wheel is that you set like yeah Burning Wheel especially yeah especially with Burning Wheel like you set goals for yourself at the beginning of the game and I guess that that would just make it natural for the DM GM to Mm -hmm. yeah what you know to to fulfill those help fulfill those goals
3: yeah well and it's to the point now that like in this most recent Call of Cthulhu campaign that we're about to wrap up like (laughs) I've been I've been looking for the beliefs like I've been trying to figure out. Like I even I have a um, you know document on the computer where I try to type out what your characters' beliefs might be, like what what you guys would write them as, because that like it's such a it's such a crutch now. <laughs> like it's such a uh, you know I don't have to come up try and come up with ideas that everyone is going to think is cool because in a way everybody's already told me what is what they think is cool. Um, you know that was the other big thing that the other really common piece of advice from the like the original D and D podcast and like. Oh, there's another one I listen to all the time that was Fear the Boot, which I think is still on. Was, you know, find a way to, like, pretty much trick your players into seeing like there's this open-ended thing. You know, trick them into this thinking it's a sandbox. And know your players was the thing they always said. But there's not, like, but not really qualifying that with anything. And I think what that means now is, you know, being able to discern from what they're doing in-game, from, you know, what they're, where they're putting their characters, what situations they're putting their characters in, and, like, what roles they care about. Kind of what their what their characters' beliefs are and what their in-game priorities are.
0: It's almost kind of like buying a gift for somebody. If you have an idea what their tastes are, then you're relatively certain they'll like this or that. If a character has a goal to run for mayor and you know he has an opportunity, for example, yeah, and, and, for, and he has an opportunity yeah. to speak in public, he probably won't turn that down. Exactly, you know, he's playing his character to tie to tie this to like any media and stuff. I'm and it done this week. There's a really good book. It's a link that I think sent to you. It's a link that I saw on the Gamma Ray Games Facebook feed. Ogre Games and it's, oh, yeah, a, it's yeah. a list of the all what they want for Christmas basically. And there's a book in there. It's actually available on Amazon. It's called Hamlet's Hit Points. And it's all about how to run a game narrative. And the author takes three major stories. One's Hamlet, one's Moby Dick, and I think the other one is like The Tempest or something else by mm-hmm. Shakespeare. But three, or is it, um, maybe it's Table Two Cities, maybe it's something like, but it's these three stories that we all know really well, even if we didn't have to read sure. it in school. And he breaks it down and looks at it from a GM standpoint like Shakespeare wasn't really thinking about Hamlet's hit points, but he was thinking about his relationship to his stepfather and his mother, and he was thinking about would he come out first in the sword fight at the end or not? Like, he, he talks about right, breaking yeah, it what, down. What the are the, what right, what are the
3: mechanics that they tied around that? Yeah, yeah, so he
0: takes he takes the narrative first and says, this is how you can break it down in mechanics rather the other way around. But all the reviews I've read on it have been excellent. Hmm. Hamlet's hit points, so I will dig up the link and send it. Yes, points. I'm yeah. sold. That yeah, sounds great. I, I have that on my wish list on Amazon. I think that may be my Christmas gift to myself. Yeah, that
3: sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. like, what do, what do you guys do prep art? Like, what, is, what does your prep look like? You know what do you what do you do? It
2: depends. A lot of research.
3: Cause yeah, I mean mostly you've done you've run like uh, like run more the, tactical games too, yeah. like D, and D like a D twenty system or like you ran Battlestar.
2: I ran Battlestar. Uh, D twenty Star, Star Wars. And
3: yeah, so they, yeah, like what does prep look like for you?
2: Um, well since it was mostly D twenty stuff, I just read all those books, like, <laughs> r- r- try memorize. to memorize as much of the rules as I possibly could, so I don't have to go flipping through the book in the middle system of the game. Mastery. Um. But it was also... But with the story, it was... Especially the Star Wars game. Like, that was just me telling a story. And like, I love Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I love Star Wars. And i love and Wars. this story. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, want you guys to be in it. But, um... And I guess it was like, the same kind of thing with the Battlestar game, too. To an extent. But... I don't know. A lot of research. um And thinking, of, like, how... The story to actually fit with people because, like, right now I'm having a bitch with Burning Wheel. I'm yeah. Trying to figure that, figure out how am I going to run a game with Burning
3: Wheel? It's it's gonna It's yeah, because it's a real <laughs> departure. Like it's yeah. really different. I um, mean, it makes you improv a lot more. Mm-hmm. It
2: does, but like there was stuff that was like in the books that like you never even brought into the Burning yeah.
3: Wheel game, and I'm like,
2: oh, maybe like I could just. Devise this new world thing where this stuff exists now. Yeah,
3: totally. And but uh, and I, let, let me know yeah. too if you want the magic burner and the monster because okay. that's that's some shit. Like after you finish the first book, or the like the core book. Yeah. Um the the magic burner is really cool because it's just like all these other spellcasting systems and like you know, just different different ways of working the magic system. But then the monster burner is how the how everything works. Like here like it just totally looks under the hood of how all the mechanics work and like I'm it's going gonna, back, like reading different. that
2: book and like wanting to really run a game and trying to figure out how, like, what my story is going to be about, but how I'm going to run it at the same time is like, make, it's making me rethink like a lot of things that I've done, especially in the past running games. So,
3: one of the um, one of the concepts that uh, Vincent Baker talks about in Dogs in the Vineyard is playing to see what happens, and I think that's a a big component of like, of where of where that's like that's what you're doing that's different, the players have that authorship ability, you know, they can they can call for their circles test and like, you know, make up this NPC that is going to totally fucking derail everything, like, Uh you know, it's...
1: Yeah, I used to world build way too much when I was preparing to be a GM, like, I would think of all of these locations that people could go to and all of these, like, places where they could find stuff and this and that. And then it was like if the party decided to do something else or go somewhere else, it was like, well, I got nothing. Um, (laughs) But it it was really rewarding, like, going to those locations. Like, the the ones where we could tell
3: there was the prep, it was like, you
1: know. That kind of taught me that it wasn't the specific location so much as rewards itself. Like, I'll think of, like, well, what, do I want to have any themes for this game? You know, do I want, like, certain issues to come cropping up again and again? Um, What type of rewards do I want the players to be able to get? Um, What types of behaviors do I want to reward? And usually I'll try to think of like a climax point because again, that's like rewards like Mm -hmm. How do I want the high point of this campaign to go? What? Where's
3: the big story payoff? Yeah,
1: where's their major confrontation? Like why would people be motivated to do that? Like if I think about motivations which, I guess, ties into rewards. If I think about, like, how will I motivate the players and why is this motivating in this story concept, then that's all I really need to do. Yeah, yeah. I don't
2: know about both burning meals, that's,
1: that's It's different. What I was just yeah, going to say, though, is... But, but then again, like, you have... That's the thing is you
3: have it on paper there. Yeah. Like, that's... Because that, that's what you're... would be trying to do is, like, try and read the players. And, right. you know, say... What are they responding to? Yeah, okay, if I give them more of that, they're going to go in the direction of it. You know, that, mm-hmm. that will be the, the carrot on the stick.
0: You know, I think at least for me when I was doing a lot of my gaming and I think for you guys, although it came a little bit later, I when I was playing D and D especially, which is what I primarily played for years, I um, was playing in the Ed Greenwood era. Where he had ridiculously detailed. I mean, they're novels. I mean, they're <laughs> novels. And I used to buy the campaign books, and several of them I didn't use. I just read them. I read like the big gray square-bound paperback. Um, Forgotten Realms one over and over and over again. So did all my friends. And I don't necessarily think that. I mean, that was fantastic. It's like great to see all that love put into it. But it was also it was like a professional item that was churned out for thousands of people to use and to use like any given part of Forgotten Realms. It's probably probably. No character actually visited every single location. Yeah, and if they did, that campaign sucked. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) that was like they had a teleport ring or something. But I mean, that almost I think that gets in my way sometimes when I sit down to write campaign stuff. Because when I was preparing for the Gilly campaign that we just started, I was like sitting down. I was like, okay, I really should write up every single city like within a fifty mile radius, and just Just in in case case. I have some place to go, or I should have like specific. And I just I I get in my own way, and it's fun to do that stuff. And if Uh you want to run a long term campaign. I guess it's never wasted time if you're trying to stretch yourself as like a writer or if you're trying to train yeah. yourself to turn out professional product with the hope of getting published. that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, if I'm just running a game, I don't have to meet like a Per page minimum of how many right. pages I write, and then I just sort of get my own. No one's like, going to
3: be mad if you don't have a notebook full and, of. Whatever.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I,
0: I mean, have like a fairly lengthy homepage and a fairly lengthy like character background page on the wiki for this campaign, and it was so much longer, <laughs> so much longer. And I had like a really pretentious open letter to myself about why am I running this game. And I just like oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Like it was, no, it was unawesome. It was so unawesome. It's like one of the most unawesomest <laughs> things I've ever read. No, actually, it, sounded, that makes me- it, it sounded like I was accepting an Oscar.
1: <laughs> <laughs> For all the little people For all the people <laughs> and I'm so
0: glad I destroyed it <laughs> but, but I, I will get in my way and write too much stuff just because I'll go off on a tear and like what's really going to matter mm-hmm. and you know it's yeah. funny Like even as recent as a couple of years ago I never would have done what I just did which was basically coming up with the very basic ideas and even though we weren't really going to have any combat This setup, we were just trying to get the characters acquainted and give you guys some drive Mm -hmm. and some motivation, and you just needed that first weird thing to happen to get you started in the campaign. I didn't have, you know, I'm not even really familiar with this edition of Call of Cthulhu. I didn't have any notes with me, just what I thought in my head. But it turned out fine, because I didn't try to railroad you guys, but I never would have attempted that a couple of years ago, because I would have been embarrassed that I didn't know the rules, which, you know, we don't necessarily are not rules crunchers anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, all I'll need to know is a little bit more about the combat for next time so it'll goes smoother, and I'll be fine. But I know what would have just been like, this is what happens, but I knew you guys were going to do what you're going to do. And so it's just a matter of like having a good grasp on, for me anyway, it's been a matter of having a solid grasp on what characters I want there and trying to decide how they react to what you guys do.
1: Mm-hmm. Now one of the problems also with like, Pre-made campaign settings, and I love Forgotten Realms. Like I think Forgotten Realms some is cool awesome. Shit in there. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like that's more like bathroom, bathroom reading to me because it's interesting <laughs> yeah. to read, but it doesn't actually ever get implemented in campaigns. Especially like you know if you're in a mixed group where some people are really hardcore nerds and some people are just kind of like you know like yeah mm-hmm. varying levels of knowledge of the right. Setting, so right. I'm like you you know if I name drop like oh the inn says that the merchant went to Waterdeep you know then. People are like the what now? Means nothing to anybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. like some people be like, oh, water deep, okay, yeah, and that's like such a big part of a campaign. Because if I said, you know, like in Jason's. Game. The radio person was like, "Yeah, your music will be heard in Chicago, and this and that, and everybody understands." Memory, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and the people who don't know, Forgotten realms, don't know that you just said that merchant went to New York City, right? You know what
3: you
0: basically, just said, that's, yeah. yeah. That's
3: the same as the. It makes me think of the problem with First Edition Vampire and. Holy fuck! Like remembering all that canon, remembering mm, no. Prince of Where, because you yeah. can't play unless yeah. you know that rule book. Well, yeah, but, yeah. It depends who you're playing with, but yeah, I mean, there are there are all, are those dicks out there who do know it. <laughs> and, and I think that was we'll one one of them, they originally.
0: I mean, it never was really official, but they kind of originally set first edition vampire in Chicago. Was um, it like her, that was kind of like the default, wasn't it? I don't know. Uh, I think so. That
3: made me right, I think yeah. that was
0: like the first big source book and kind of the book, the rule book was written that way, and that's what they yeah. did, in first edition Shadowrun. And we're in Seattle, and I think it's awesome that, you know, Seattle is like the home base for Shadowrun. Yeah. I love the fact that Portland is like an elven preserve. Like, it's just <laughs> cut off from everything else, and you can't get in. They won't let you in. But, yeah, I mean, that elves. was a problem with it being set in Seattle, because it was so specific, it was canon. Yeah. And I was like, I was like can, I, can I say, you're in Capitol Hill? Is that, or is, is Capitol Hill, like, blown thing? up, or? Yeah. No, well, they, they, they have been. it
3: written down somewhere, who lives there and what they're doing. Yeah, it's very. It's Seattle, so, and Shadowrun was written up in,
2: like, the the game was devised, like, what, in the 80s? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, or, it's been, yeah, re- there's a been new redone one now, but I think it came that, out
3: new, like, two years ago. Yeah, but I mean, like, yeah. the, f- the first, first one. It's 20 years yeah. old yeah. this year, yeah. Yeah, the first one was twenty twenty years
2: old, yeah. So, yeah, but, like, Capitol has always been around. Yeah. So, but, I, I was afraid that but I was they could say that something mistake. happened. To exactly. It, yeah. Like yeah. I so, so. their yeah.
3: their books do say like in this this neighborhood is owned by this gang and these yeah. people, and or like, this neighborhood is all like something or. Yeah, so it's, yeah, you, it's more or less. You just can either choose to ignore that, or I don't know what. I don't. Know, do we, I, I don't know what other good options I, I
0: don't know what made me so intimidated about like either. Well, even if you don't want to spend all this time to write a very specific campaign information for a city, I don't know why I couldn't just like. Take bits and pieces. I, it's so funny. I don't anymore pay attention to what is strictly canon. I think because so many of those games were licensed. Mm. I mean, no. there's not really a whole licensing engine, uh, you know, with Fiasco or any of the Vincent Baker games or anything, because they're small. It was just them. So that yeah, they made it up. There is licensing. There were novels to be written, and the novels had to be made to fit the game. Or well, it's, yeah, it's, it's the worse, way the uh, industry has changed. Yeah, you know? it's
3: it's the. And Watsey well, and, and still operates on that, you know, kind of level of, like, yeah. we still need to get the books out, X number of books out a month, and, you know, yep. there, there are novels to be written. But even even they have loosened up on, you know, they, they, they know that that shit's annoying, too. And so a lot of their, like, setting stuff is now broader, and is more like, this is what the world is like, yeah. not this is who lives in this town. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I... I, I had had that same problem to an extent of like the overwriting thing, where like, except I'm really a horrible procrastinator and horrible with like deadlines and all that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I I write for a living, and I'm terrible with all this. Like, <laughs> 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 so I I would have these grand ideas and be like, so I'm gonna have to you know detail these eight different factions, who's the head of these factions, how they all feel about each other, who's you know within these. Uh, within these groups, what are the who's, you know, the movers and shakes and whatever? All these different NPCs, I was going to have to write out maps, I was going to have to draw, and it would just never happen. And what I came to realize, and I guess the like the turning point was uh, the campaign I ran, ran for you and Tori, the Call of Cthulhu campaign, mm-hmm. where like I walked into the um, second and third sessions of that was fucking zero prep. Like I had sat down on my lunch break, thought, what happened last session? What do the characters seem? What What are the characters really stoked on? What's happening? M- made a page of notes and walked in, and it was awesome. Um, and we I, and like some of the so like I started having these gaming experiences where, you know, the prep was not what was making it awesome. It was more, uh, just you know, following following the group zest and stick having the one cool idea and just seeing it through to fru- to fruition rather mm-hmm. than you know knowing where the ending was going to be.
1: Which is kind of the difference between storytelling yeah. and being a DM doing a dungeon crawl.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a DM doing a dungeon crawl, you have to know where everything is.
3: <coughs> it is linear. And, and, and that's the fun.
1: Yeah. And the, you know.
0: most, and the most you have to know about a character's motivation is your father is dead and his sacred <laughs> knick-knack of blah blah is at the bottom of the... The
3: dungeon, go get it. Yeah, Yeah. because that's not the fun. The fun is the tactical, is, you know, how am I going to survive this fucking trial? Right. Not, you know, how am I going to... Am I going to find my father's sacred Guga? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we were talking um, a couple of sessions ago about what is the reason for gaming, and it really is a whole separate podcast, but I was thinking about this when you ran Apocalypse World. Sometimes I game... Most of the times I game to tell a story and to be social and to hang out with like-minded people, but sometimes... Usually when I'm in dungeon crawling mode, I want a game because I just want a piece of paper that says, this is my 12th level, level fighter. There are many others like him, but this one's not. <laughs> yes. And he has this badass sword. Let me show you it. <laughs> <Yeah. badass laughs> Let me sword. cut some stuff. <laughs> Let me cut things up and with it, and I have this armor that I like. It is plus three, and that is good. And that's that's, and that, that's like the only reason sometimes <laughs> yeah, it's, why I want it. Sometimes fun. it's like, look at it. Look at this awesome gun. Well, attack.
2: it's like a rare case that you get to show off.
0: Yeah, Completely. Yeah, you get yeah, to show off, and plus there's just like the 10-year-old boy that was really excited about getting his first basic D&D set is still really excited to hold up his sheet and say, this says my character is a big fucking god. Yeah, yeah, we, we need to get awesome on the fourth
3: edition game train. Game. I think I really like. The more I think about it, the more I think we need to go there. Because I like, want to do a
0: little beer and pretzly. I'm kind of excited about Gamma World because it sounds like completely—that's what I yeah, completely that's
3: the one I completely
1: play. silly and completely fun. Forty bucks, man. I'd do a fourth edition dungeon crawl thing. and yeah, that's yeah. what it's for anyway.
3: Exactly, and that's yeah. That's they. They finally have decided that that's what it's for, and I'm I'm down with that. Like I I think that's that's a very good step. Like mm-hmm. you know, admitting that you were wrong. with the, <laughs> with the this is, this is a, this walking is, away. This, this is
0: who I am. Accept <laughs> <laughs> me. <laughs> we're, we're here. We're tactical. <laughs>
3: <Get out of> <laughs>
0: <room>. <laughs> what about um? What about inspiration? I mean, do you find yourself drawing inspiration from what's popular right now? I mean, it's very easy to run a zombie game, and you know, pretty much everybody is going to be into it. But that, mm-hmm. would, that would be the case even before the zombies hit. Because yeah. we are a bunch of nerds yeah. that like zombies and things. Yeah, but it's do you guys find yourself like watching and there's so much media out now that's like nerd centric it's almost kind of a silly question to ask but where do you get your inspiration from is it stuff that you've always liked are you have you been a musician and that's why you always do have you know music as a part of your games whether it's like meta or the characters are all musicians like where do you where do you get inspiration from
3: you know, I can say um, that uh, Mr. Lovecraft is a pretty steady source of inspiration for me. Yeah, I mean, like, because it's
0: always good. <laughs> it, it, well, and
3: it's it's those those themes make their way into almost all of my games. And the like the you know, human, humans are small and insignificant, and like you know, that's that 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 gets into a lot of my stuff. And uh, I mean, my, that's it really informs a lot of what I think is scary too, and which which finds its way into almost all of my games. But yeah. Uh, I mean, and and of course, yeah. I mean, I steal from whatever I'm reading at the time. Yeah. Like it's, I you know when I was reading the whole like China Miéville thing was when I decided I was going to cre- create this world for Burning Wheel that like you know is the just the reskinned version of of, <laughs> of his whole thing. Um, so good though, it's so good. <laughs> I I try really hard not to rip off wholesale stuff because I I w- you know when you were talking about earlier that you. Uh, you used to always play modules and stuff like that's always felt like cheating to me for whatever reason and like there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with like you know running the the module out of the book or whatever but it is to me always felt like I'm doing something wrong like I'm you know
0: yeah
3: I should be able to just make something up it's like buying a
0: self-tuning guitar or something yeah (laughs) exactly it's like I have a skill set I'm pursuing this highly nerdy hobby for a very specific reason
3: why am I not? Yeah. What you know, What I ultimately want to do is show everybody my cool idea. Right. So yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it always depends for me. It just
0: it'll be an idea I've had kicking around in my head for a while that I didn't even know it was an idea for a game, yeah. or the whole um, Gilead campaign, which takes place in 1934 in an all black town in Mississippi. Um, came about because I've been listening to a lot of blues from that period right now. I downloaded this fantastic record set. I think there's more than one in the set, but it's called The Copulating Blues. And it's all these (laughs) blues. It's awesome. It's got a picture of a train going through a tunnel on the cover. Oh, Oh, wonderful. (laughs) But it's all these really raunchy songs from like the 20s and 30s, all from African-American singers. Oh, goodness. It's um, Oh, man. Some of them are just kind of saucy. Some of them are like... Really, really explicit, but I I'll have to, to have to have that. I'll, 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 poke around and find the link and put it on there. But I love yeah, it. It's great. Really good stuff. I like Betsy Smith and Ma Rainey and everybody
3: from that time period.
0: And I've been listening to that, and then I started listening to some other
3: artists, and then that totally follows just from this first session and like what what went down. Of course, mm-hmm. it's the copulating blues. Oh, cool. Of course, yeah. it's the <laughs> <a> copulating blues. <laughs> it's it's all about
0: it's an entire town of copulating blues, but. That and like stuff that I from being that from that part of the country stuff that I know about race records and you know rock and roll before rock and roll was rock and roll and I I think one of the things that really interests me is because I'm Caucasian and so I shouldn't it doesn't necessarily follow that I have this interest in African American history but ever since I read about um, I think I first read it in a short story by Zora Neale Hurston it's actually her autobiography and she talks about growing up in this all black town in Florida. And she never knew she was black until she left this town because everybody was the same, and you occasionally saw white folks, but all of a sudden when she left the town, she became, instead of being little Zora, she became this black child. You know? uh, and it was really fascinating to me that uh, this group of people who had been thought as separate had tried to create their own town on their own means where they could be happy and not have to deal with interference from the powers that be sure. and the fact that things used to be so separate. So it's different things, the, but definitely the music from the time period is what kicked it all off. Yeah, and Robert Crumb, who's a huge, huge blues fan, did a really, really cool collection of cartoons about old blues artists and the Delta. And,
3: huh.
0: uh, yeah, I've always loved that. I'll,
3: I'll also, the copulating blues. <laughs> also, the copulating blues. Robert Crumb's the copulating. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Actually, he totally should have done that album cover. That would have been fantastic.
3: You know, it's kind of like I'll, I'll steal stuff from you know from movies I'm watching and from, but usually it's it's a piece of an idea mm. and it's like they've. Been, and then they become a game in my head all at once. Like, and I, I have, you know, I pretty much every campaign I run, there's a period, and you, you've, you've seen me do this a lot of times, in the mm-hmm. middle of the game where I say, fuck, I have this great idea. <laughs> I, I cannot let it kill this campaign. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hit me, and I really want to do it, and I want to do it today. But like, uh, yeah.
2: Or you'll just like, Get, happen to get a new book. Uh, yeah, well, that's the other <laughs> thing, and
3: that's I, I know better than that though. The book has to stay on the shelf until the campaign is over. <laughs> all right, well, like I, I just let myself start reading uh, Burning Wheel or Burning Empires and Ernest okay. because I finished writing the last session of the Call of Cthulhu game, so it's <laughs> it's in the can, it's okay. all ready.
0: So when you write stuff for when you write down stuff, you said like you write down the last session. Like, what do you do? Do you have like a brief outline? Do you have like do you have
3: just an idea of what's going to happen um, to the other to the NPCs in the game and it's it's both of those things i have i have uh key scenes is is what i do now um, i mean it used to be a full outline like uh and then I would throw it away you know 'cause yeah. i that's what would happen is i would I would write mm-hmm. a whole session and I have notebooks of you know these handwritten out fucking you know, encounter by encounter and scene by scene, you know, here's what people are going to say. Which sing. is exactly
0: how the pre-bought modules did it, which is how you were supposed to exactly. do it. Exactly.
3: And, and, you know, I think if, yeah, if I took anything away from the D&D modules I bought as a kid, it was, this is how you write an adventure. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, but now it's, uh, it's still very much, I, I think in outline form really well, and that, like, works for me, you know, the, the way they teach you to write outlines in school. But now it's, uh, it's key scenes, and then, um important NPCs and, you know, what kind of what they're up to this session, like, uh, as I try and think about how much time we're going to cover is one of the big things that I try and project out, and that's kind of like the, as as much as I, the only thing I really try to anticipate is that, you know, the key scenes and how much time it's going to take, because I need to know what all the NPCs will be doing during that time. Right. In case anybody goes to see anybody, what can they be up to, and... And in, uh, specifically in Call of Cthulhu, um, things to learn. Because uh, it's, it's so clue-heavy. Like, it's, it's all about solving the mystery. Yeah. And so it's, I've got to have, here, here are the things they can learn and the various points of entry for them to learn them. Uh, so much of that is, ends up being dependent on what, what the characters have been doing, though, too. Like, uh, you know, I, the, the key scenes are going to be wherever they left off, is going to be one of the key scenes. It's going to be picking up from right where we left off because I don't usually do Mm downtime. And then, like, you know, if there's anything that they've talked about doing that they talked about doing in the previous session, that will be pre-written. Then everything else is, you know, we, we, we know what the NPCs are up to and we know what there is to learn.
0: I think every every GM, no matter what you're playing, is just afraid that they don't want their, their friends to be bored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm always yeah. afraid that things are going to be too boring. And one of the things I used to do before that is make things way too exciting, and just keep throwing things in. And yeah, you have to keep the action going, but it can be as simple as helping a wheezing old man get to the doctor's office. Yeah, you know, it, it can be something as simple as two NPCs, I mean two PCs having a conflict, which I certainly didn't plan. That became like a major point in the first game. Yeah, is the mm-hmm. fact yes. that can ripped you off. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's, there is a tendency to like do way yeah. too many
3: wheels within wheels, and yeah. I, th- I think that's. The, I mean, I think that's the nerd fiction we take in, like yeah. taking its toll. Like, I, we all want to run fucking the Game of Thrones RPG, <laughs> but like, it's never gonna be that. How
0: could we do it? We could never bring in that many characters. We could never, and it would. It, suck it just wouldn't be the same
3: because you know yeah. you're you know you're you're keeping the spotlight. Of necessity, there are these fictional constraints. So, like you're you're going to be watching these four characters, and mm-hmm. it's gonna you know.
1: And it's important to give each character in the game attention and help sure. them drive the story. And depending on what character that is in any given session, you know, on some sessions, combat-heavy characters are going to be more important. In other sessions, social-heavy characters are going to be more important. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's important, to, even if you can't give a character attention, the whole campaign... To try and find some balance. Yeah,
3: they, I mean, yeah, everybody's got to have spotlight. Like mm-hmm. if every
1: like the family's
2: game, the family game that we mm-hmm. ran, that was nice because mostly everybody had somewhat. We didn't all have the same goals, but our goals all were. You know. mutually beneficial
1: to some of us
3: yeah I, I really struggled with giving caleb's character spotlight in that especially though it's well, because like, i came, came in late so it's like it was yeah and i wasn't
1: already a part of what was going on you yeah, know well, so like, people already had established their alliances yeah. and, well and you had yeah. like you you had
3: cool institutions and things you brought with you but yeah they just weren't baked into the yeah what was going on from so the start. it was
1: hard to insinuate it yeah.
3: you know something uh, you mentioned caleb just in passing um is thinking about like what type of uh, themes and um just like what what kind of big picture things you want the the story to be about mm-hmm. that's something I really really struggle with is like is is baking a like a like capital T theme like they, like they talk about in English class yeah into your game and making it uh you know without being totally railroady and without like you know pretty much telling the characters they have to do and see these things Um, so I mean like yeah how does that how do you how does that work and what do you
1: um I think just in situations with your NPCs um, either have them behaving or saying certain things to keep bringing it back to a themes like for instance with that one shot I ran, it was pretty much the theme was "what the fuck." Like, <laughs> <Yeah. you> know, <laughs> it was, Isn't
0: that the overarching thing for every good college Call game? Cthulhu game.
1: Well, Miles, is more humans are insignificant. Like, <laughs> Miles is just mine yeah. is mine is what horrible thing is going to happen to you and know whatever you want. Like, I think you even said it in that game. You were like, that's not what I want. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, well, it doesn't matter. You this have is... no agency. Yeah. <laughs> so really, yeah, I think a lot, of, a lot of times my games will have that, that theme of um, lack of agency. Yeah. So how do I make players feel helpless even though I'm giving them choices? Right. Like, that's the thing I'd have to balance and yeah. oftentimes do have to balance.
3: Yeah so it's it's almost like there's you, the technique is going to change depending on what you're trying to convey. Yeah. Like I see I I've had uh I say I struggle with that but then I've had a lot more success with it I feel like in this current Call game that I'm running um and I think it's partially that it is a horror game like that it is you know so well already we we all know what horror looks like and we mm-hmm. all know what you know what happens in horror movies and the the tropes that are there and you know Kind of have an idea of what how characters behave in these conditions, mm-hmm. so it's, I think it's made it a lot easier for me to, uh, you know, to like to plan out those NPC interactions that are going to illustrate, they're going to illustrate the themes I'm going for. Like, I'm, I've been really trying to push uh, like themes of uh, of you know betrayal at every turn, and of you know every question leads to more questions. You know that there's no, there's no there's no one you can trust, and there's no one who really knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think like it's it's come through. Is is my hope and you know we can we can take a poll on it later. <laughs>
0: but, uh. Uh, I definitely think so, at least for you know, the time I played James's character Seymour. I mean his parents had been on this from the beginning and if you if you knew, they were obviously up to something which the mother was dropping broad hints about being a leader and don't you think being a soldier is stupid and you can yeah. do other things and what could she possibly be talking about in this, you know, small logging area in the middle of Bumblefoot? Oh shit, she was talking about a cult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Join the cult. <laughs> she was talking, she was talking about this party. bad guy thing. Your mom is a bad guy.
3: Yeah, so that's I, I I'm interested to see like I think a lot of it, it really does depend on being able to like have those NPC interactions that are going to like you know show not tell what the mm-hmm. thing is, um, or like you know the little vignettes that the characters can walk in on you know little th- little scenes already happening. But it's, gonna it's, you know, I think be a lot harder for me, or it seems like it's a lot harder for me in games that are not horror, where I don't yeah. already know where they're going to go. Like,
1: like, I noticed I with, know they're um, going to
3: put their face over the monster. I know they're going to... I
1: noticed yeah. with Burning Wheel, um, a theme seemed to be the characters came from this family that wanted to either reclaim what they felt was owed to them, yeah. or just basically, um, you know, you're entitled, or you, you deserve yeah. better. You know, where right. you deserve all that life has to offer, or whatever. Um, and then, like, in D&D campaigns, like, when you ran that elf campaign, um, there was, like, a family theme where, weren't we, like, yeah, we, oh, were, yeah, we, we were, were nobility. We were, it was, like, nobility. Oh, yeah you, were one, yeah,
3: you were one house of, like, the six that were
1: the ruling families. Yeah, so yeah. it was, like, try to prove that your house is better. Like, right. Then we had the king. <laughs> the, game. The, the, and
3: the gang one had no theme except giving, you well, know it was, it, was, it was like the same money, theme as fucking Scarface. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah, but that's a theme. That's I mean, it, was, it was like Grand Theft. Yeah, but but someone yeah. <laughs> like that's the other thing. Grand Theft D and D with like building themes into games. Uh, like how much of it is? And I read this great article about this too by uh, by Ryan Macklin, uh, having this idea that a lot of that stuff, like themes and like character arcs. On, are only, like, they're only emergent qualities. Like, they're not there in any deliberate fashion, and mm-hmm. they're not there uh, at the table. They're only there in the retelling. So I, I don't know, and I, I don't quite buy that. Like, I kind of think that's bullshit, because I, I feel like that there are ways if you push and if you are always thinking about it, you can make that happen, and you can, you know, get that kind of, like, you know... Big literary business going on in your games. I just think it's a shitload of work, and I think and I think specifically some games are just not conducive. Like D and D, it's a, it's a real tough thing because the 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 strictures of the system are its own theme.
1: Like
3: mm-hmm. there there are certain things that you're going to be doing in every D and D game, uh, you know, regardless of who your characters are and what their personality and background is, and that's going to impose a certain like.
1: Yeah, a it's really it's, it's really reined in by archetypes, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, archetypes are useful when you're just starting out characters and for setting scene at the beginning of a yeah. campaign. But those archetypes are so rich in D&D D that, like, it's hard to let it kind of organically evolve into its own thing. Besides, right. you know, get richer, get stronger, get more awesome. Yeah,
3: exactly. That that theme is so like laced into the way things work. Yeah. The, the the theme of like the uh, the rise to power,
1: you know. Be a hero. A hero is you. Hero is you. A hero is you. What is that? Uh, a Kingdom of Loathing? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. It's so good. Still been
3: playing that. I've actually been playing that a lot lately. <laughs> I haven't played it since I worked at MJM. I haven't had that, you know, <laughs> that, that much kind of, of a desire to waste time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, one of the things I did like about three point five and, and, and up three point five and four of D and D and that I like in Pathfinder is the fact that finally multi-classing is not this hideous idea that you're penalized for doing. Which is right. absolutely the case in 1st edition D&D. But even in like 2nd edition and it became really difficult and finally in 3rd edition D&D you started seeing people with combinations. Like, yeah. uh, wild it, brain, and it breaks down that like, archetypes
3: are the uh, are the driving force of your, of your story yeah. in a big way.
0: And was always the way I thought about it because I was reading all these fantasy novels while I was playing D and I was like, alright, and this is kind of something I first encountered. Look at the old, old-school Deities and Demigods um, book in 1st edition because it had not just mythological backgrounds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the first one that's hard to find now it had the Cthulhu Mythos, which Miles just held up. His new game that Mr. Caleb gave him for Christmas. The oh, fuck, yeah. Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu card game. So but it had the Cthulhu Mythos, and it also had the Neewon Mythos from um, the Grey Mauser. Oh, really? Uh, from Fathford and I the Grey I didn't know Mouser. those were in oh, Yes, cool. they are. They had it because apparently... Um, Fritz Lieber was uh, knew Gary Gygax and like right. approved the D anD D and he like helped him write up these stats. But that was the first time I ever saw. And because they were quote unquote heroes, bigger than your heroes, obviously, they didn't have to pay t- any attention to any of the multi class rules. Huh. And so right. it's like, so what is the Great Mauser? Well, he's a thief. Yes, but he's also the best swordsman, and fighters are better than thieves. So what is he? Oh. And in oh, the <laughs> well, first edition, you know, auspices, you couldn't, you couldn't. It's impossible. Yeah, because he's not a demi human and he couldn't mm-hmm. dual class. But um, something that I... One of the things that helped me kind of get back into D&D was the fact that now it's much easier to have a third-level cleric and, you know, who's also a fifth-level fighter yeah. and, you know, like this this um, prestige class. And it makes much better sense because then you have this character that is fleshed out by what made him become a fighter instead of why did he leave his religion and become a fighter or blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's much easier to make a character that has an arc to it. But.
3: You know, I think that in a... In fourth edition, and I, I may be uh, horribly wrong because I, you know, I haven't finished reading the players' handbook yet. But uh, I, I think that actually multiclassing is less of a viable option again. Like mm-hmm. it, it is way more about. But then, but on the other hand, they're really explicit about that. There's, they uh, each one of the classes fits into one of four party roles, and you want to have. Those four roles filled in your party pretty yeah. much all the time.
0: But it seems like they also, from what little bit I've read of it, it seems like there's also a lot more paths to take within each individual. Yes, role. that's true. Like, there's, that's there's like choices, control. yeah, a lot of choices like, all along the way. Like you play a specialty, a specialty type, a special type of fighter. Yeah, that does this or that. Or yeah, the, there's way more emphasis creative. on
3: like specific yeah. builds
0: right. of, of your characters, and, which, and, those, and those builds again are like a track that you can't yeah. really get off of, but at least it gives you some. Yeah, not just this robe, but this type of
3: role. Well, and role, they've and at, they've also taken a step back from. From acting like they are a game about, you know, creating story. Yeah. they're they're a game about making interesting tactical choices within a fictional framework and like within you know within an interesting fictional structure. But yeah. it's more about the choice, the tactical choices you're making than about uh, you know yeah. the awesome stories that's emergent from that. And you know, it's 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 good that you know they've come to grips with that. <laughs> I support that. It's good. It's good to finally get who you are. <laughs> So it's like, I, I imagine this you know, some AA meeting somewhere for, like, <laughs> <case> designers. <laughs>
2: Rocking back and forth.
3: Especially after, again, I think that
0: Forgotten Realms was so popular, and I think that was really the beginning. Because you had the Greyhawk setting before that, and it was kind of like, eh, man, like Gary Gygax wrote it, and he is, you know, obsessed, was obsessively minded, was a great rules guy, yeah. and he was even good, I think, about making up backgrounds, like writing little backgrounds for things, mm-hmm. but as far as like, making you care about the NPCs and everything else, no. It was just really, really drab. He was not a good creative writer. He was sure. an excellent kind of a world builder. But um, And then The Forgotten Realms came along and was this huge involved Tolkien-esque story yeah. mm-hmm. that was so cool. And you really cared about what happened to the symbol or right. what happened to Waterdeep or all this yeah. other stuff. And I, I think that's what really kind of like, they were really trying to make it a more story-oriented game and then as they revised it, it kind of... I love the wayside But then when it comes down to it You know whether or not Your parents are alive or dead Makes no difference And whether or not That orc hits your armor class Yes Makes zero difference So what are you doing What's your background inspiration for Right now Miles You're doing Apocalypse World Like how are you getting ideas for that Um
3: Where's all that coming from You know I It's really uh That book is fucking awesome Is one thing (laughs) And he One of the things he talks about Is you need to just start uh Yeah go ahead And take it and stroke it David (laughs) Um (laughs) The rub, book. Rub the front cover. The book. The book. You have to specify with David, I mean,
0: a couple of times.
3: Yeah. Well, this is all audio. I hate, you know, take this and stroke it, David. I hate to have that uh... the book. Yeah, exactly. You need to qualify it. Yes. Again, um,
0: neither Tori nor James are here, and so we're getting I'm classy. I'm classy. Well, did classy. Well, did you the self critical hits sausage party, yeah. Tori
2: bro on the Yeah, like uh,
0: without
3: without her and James there, we didn't talk about porn once. Yeah. Porn, porn, porn. <laughs> Happy now. <laughs> uh, so Apocalypse World talks. He says that you need to start uh, cultivating a mind full of ap- apocalyptic imagery. So I mean, Fallout New Vegas has helped. Uh, Absolutely. I have not watched The Road yet, but it's on my list. <laughs> um, again, I'll say uh, continue to Def- not want to cry. Definitely check out Hardware. That, yeah. that I
0: mentioned to you. That's that's very, very like the setting that we were
3: in. Yeah, I mean, and I've been yeah just think just trying to think of. Uh, I've been thinking about apocalypse here is actually what one of the like uh, the two days leading up to that is I was like feverishly reading the book, getting ready to run that first session for you and James, and uh, I was just thinking about what would the post-apocalypse look like here in Seattle, and like you know, in the, the landmarks that I can think of, and you know just what, what would all that be, and what are you know, I, just just trying to come up with the images because that's one of the th- big things that's emphasized in, in that in that game is no prep. Do not prep a story. Mm-hmm. Um, the What the prep eventually consists of is just coming up with, like, what are the threats that are facing the player's community right now? And, like, h- what are a couple of, uh, like, NPCs that embody those threats in different ways? But, yeah, there's never... You're never supposed to plan a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I, <clears throat> I'm i getting a lot happier with, uh, you know, after kind of that, that point that I hit that I was talking about where I realized that, like, I was having way more fun and run, and running better games than the better part of it was improv, or was just left to, uh, to find out what's gonna happen. Um, I just, uh, that's, that's become a lot more fun and a lot more enticing to me. Like, I'm really looking forward to running Burning Empires, where it's like, three quarters of the scenes every session are, uh, player, uh, decided, like, you know. The players are going to say, here's what the scene is, here's who's there, here's what's going on, let's do it. And then I just have to improv and roll with it. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. Like That is that is now a fun challenge, whereas before that was a... Terror. I need to cancel the session this week, you guys. <laughs> <It's pretty> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> we'll I, have to play next week. I'm sick. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I, I did cancel sessions of, of D&D for that get, very reason. I, I didn't do yeah. my prep. Yep. And
0: then, and then you're like, "Well, I have this fun game I like to hang out with my friends and I like want there to be swords and elves and things, but I don't want to do my homework. Mm-hmm. And you know, you shouldn't really have to feel like it's homework. I mean, yeah, you maybe want to do a little prep and kind of understand the basic rules, but really that's like 15 minutes of reading over the combat and kind of knowing yeah. how do you succeed or fill it at fail at the skill and once you've got that down. Everything else, I mean, when they write a when they write a modern RPG rule book, they have like, all right, buddy, you've got 400 pages to fill, go. And so like, <laughs> Character sheets, there's some blank pages, there's an index, and that takes up like a big whole Full page <laughs> illustrations, yeah. And then like a full page illustrations and all this stuff. And then a lot of it's background, which is useful, but you don't need it to run yeah. even an entire campaign. Yeah. I won't use like a quarter of this stuff, but I know very specifically what I'm looking for. But I, I mean, all this other stuff, like write-ups of the characters and the Lovecraft stories, that's awesome, but I'm not going to use them. You so know, that's really it. what I'll be using is about... A fourth of this book. Yeah, if, if that.
1: that. it almost seems, it almost seems like there's it. like an inverse relationship between the amount of time the game is going to take and how much <laughs> you need to prep. You know, like if it's going to be a really short one session, you don't want people to have to decide too much because you only have one night. Yeah, yeah. So you want to have as much laid out as possible. Yeah, but if you want to actually run a campaign, then it.
3: Yeah, it'll be much more rewarding if you if it's yeah if, it, if there's buy-in and it's about it's about what they bring to the table. You know? Yeah. Oh, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say something interesting. Never mind. It's gone. Fuck. <laughs> oh, um, I was gonna say as long as you're thinking about
0: apocalyptic settings and things, especially in Seattle. Peter Bagg did a short story, the guy that did, you know, Buddy? Yeah, yeah. He did a short um, a short comic book series called Apocalypse Nerd, and that's exactly what happens. Sold. Like, it was, it's, this. it's, I'll, I'll, again, I'll dig up the link for you, yeah. it, but it's Apocalypse Nerd. I think it's in um, trade paperback now, so you should be able to find it pretty easy.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a download to the phone. And it's
0: basically just this Microsoft employee and it's kind of rednecky, y jockey sort of buddy that go out of town for the weekend and Kim Jong-il, nuke Seattle.
3: It huh, just awesome. goes crazy,
0: and then so they have to deal with all the post-apocalyptic bullshit that happens, wow. including, like, finding food. And Plus, it's Peter Baggs, so it's kind of, like, funny right. and gross at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, human. So. And then he has yeah. this bizarre series in the back where he's writing about the founding fathers of America during the Revolution, and, like, writing about, like, oh, Benjamin Franklin had this fight with Thomas Jefferson, but he's writing it kind of Peter Baggs style, yeah. and I don't know why he got obsessed with it, but it's really funny. Yeah. And Peter it's, Baggs like, actually kind of it, interesting.
3: He's well, gentlemen... Is our work done? I think so. I think so. so. Yeah. Let's fucking pit- play oh. Apocalypse World. Or
0: okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I do want to say um, yes. one thing, since we didn't really necessarily touch a whole lot on um, media and stuff we can sing this week. I was telling you about it, and this thing is so cool that I want everybody who actually has an iPhone, which I unfortunately do not, yes. to go out and find it. It's a game released by an indie company, I think they're British, It's called Papa Sangre. And it's completely, it's a video game with no video. You play it with your headphones on. It's available on iPod Touch and the iPhone and it's all audio. And you're trapped in kind of like this evil Day of the Dead carnival and you have to find your loved one and get out. It's all done with audio cues and bina- binaural sound and it looks amazing and a So it's like g- it. go
3: toward where you hear your right, loved like it's, one. I don't, it's
0: the little short video that they have available that I'll find the link for. It doesn't really, like it has the sound, but it's just the sounds it doesn't tell you how to react to them or how you use the controls yeah. on your phone. But it's, again, it's basically a video game with no video. It's all done with audio. Oh, shit, I'm going to go
3: ahead and download that pretty that much as soon as we... That pretty awesome. I, I think it's like three bucks recording. at the App Store. Sold. And yeah. I absolutely want to hear a review on it. because I, 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 I spend three bucks there. on apps I don't even want. I'll oh, yeah. totally do that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 I think it was the oatmeal that did a really good cartoon about people are like, Oh, um... You know, uh, what was it? They were like, "Oh, yeah, here, uh, let's iPhone is like, you know, how many hundreds of dollars?" And then you wind up paying like, you know, buying shitloads of apps for like right. ninety-nine cents each, like spending, <laughs> spending thousands of dollars on apps. for yeah. these I'm a foolish
3: entire. fucking sucker for like micro payments, and uh, yeah, yeah. I also Xbox Live is terrible, like, oh, or yes. and Steam too, like if. If they put a game for two dollars and fifty cents, it doesn't even have to be a good game. Like I'll fucking buy that. <laughs> I don't, I don't I, even care. Sometime <laughs> when you when you hang out with Marty, look at his laptop, no, look I at his have. Steam list. It's, it's insane. It's, it's yeah, it's it's bad. I'm kind of dreading the like Christmas Steam sale. This the Thanksgiving one. I barely got out alive. Oh, like I, I bought a handful of games, and I, it's, it was bad. <laughs> my,
0: my laptop has finally like had so many problems and is so crippled that I'm almost kind of glad that it can't play any can't really play the new PC mm-hmm. games because I just gonna wait till I get a new one and then, I'm, then I'll log on to Steam, but I haven't been on there in months and I know if I do, yeah. I, I get into trouble enough at goodoldgames.com, like I've bought all the RPGs they have and, yeah, yeah. incidentally, goodoldgames.com is a sale. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> boo, boo, more money for you to spend.
3: All right, gentlemen. Apocalypse. Apocalypse, Apocalypse world. <laughs> top top. You've just been listening to the Self-Critical Hits podcast. This show is copyright 2010 under the Creative Commons license. Get more of this business at selfcriticalhits.wordpress.com. Thanks for listening.